Welcome to How I Raised It, the podcast that goes behind the scenes with entrepreneurs who've raised capital. We uncover the tips, tricks, and techniques they use to get investors to write a check. Strap in and turn it up. Hi, welcome to another episode of How I Raised It. Today I have Whitney Casey of Finery coming to us from New York. Hello, Whitney. Hello. Welcome and glad you could be here today. Um, so let's start off with the uh, the first question. What is Finery and why did you start this business? Finery is a wardrobe operating system. And, and what that means is that we basically find everything you've ever purchased past 10 years, sometimes up to 15 years, and pull it into an online wardrobe for you. And then on that online wardrobe, we tell you when things need to be returned, which is a real problem for women. Um, and then also when things you want are going on sale. So you can really optimize your clothing spend. I started it because we found that women were spending more on their clothing than they do on their education. And as someone who used the kind of technology like TripIt and Mint and all of these systems, these software that is developed to manage your trips or your banking or your music like Spotify and Netflix and your entertainment. It's like at one point, when is there going to be something that's going to manage the thing that you're spending the most money on? And that is your wardrobe. So I basically said to a friend of mine, I said, you know, do you find this to be a pain point? And then after that, it was off to the races. That's cool. So how long, you, how long have you been around? Uh, we start, we've only been, um, we launched a year ago, but it took a year and a half to build out the technology that finds your items. Gotcha. It's, it's interesting. I mean, it's definitely a cool idea. I, years ago before starting my business founder suite, I was a consultant and to startups and I worked with a gal named Chris Elia who started closet couture. This is probably 10 years ago. Um, I don't think it's still around, but uh, it's it was a similar kind of inventory management for your wardrobe. It's a cool idea, so it's good to see uh, this come to life. It's cool. And I have to, I mean, the predecessors to this product were all really valiant in their efforts because, like, at the time, the technology didn't exist where yeah. they could create this, but there was a clear need for it. There are maybe 15 products out there that don't have the technology to automatically upload your items and find them sort of out there in the ether. And I think that was really the pain point in all those products. It's like, you have to spend that time to go through your wardrobe and take a picture of everything and then yeah. enter five data points. It's like, the whole point of this is to make it easier for women and that's just a huge pain point. Although, I mean, in 2011, when they came out, they were crushing it. So yeah. like, kudos to them. Yeah, no, that's cool. So how much have you raised and what's the, uh, how many rounds, how much, how many rounds and what's the constitution? It was an angel venture, friends and family. Um, yeah. Yeah. So our first, first product I bootstrapped. Um, then we did a small raise with a group of friends, like all women that we really looked to, to just sort of make introductions for us and who really got behind the product. And it was really important for us to, to make it by women for women funded by women. Um, and, and those women were so instrumental, um, in really helping us make some connections to really understand. And that's like one of the first tips I would say is like the first group of money that you go after just in the friends and family round needs to be so strategic. 
you should not take dumb money ever. And you really have to ask yourself, like, do I want this product so bad that I'm willing to take money from someone that is so ancillarily connected that doesn't have any, like any excitement in this product, but they will give me money. And that answer should be no, because uh -huh. those people will somehow be the biggest Achilles heel, the thorn in the side, every, every single thing that you can think of that would happen wrong. The people don't believe in it from the beginning and they're just giving you money because maybe they believe in you or they're a family friend or whatever. Do not take it. Interesting. So how did you identify that first group of, of how many women was it? Five or six or more? Um, it was uh, four women. Okay. One of them is my co-founder and she's also a celebrity and she, I wanted her to be involved, but then she said, I want to invest also. So the best scenario is like co-founders who are both investing. Um, and it really does feel good for other investors to know that you have some skin in the game that is not just your time. Yeah. And I know you may, not everybody has the ability to do that, but you, you have to make some sacrifices in some way that kind of shows your initial investors like, oh, I'm willing to put some of my own comfort, you know, not just sweat equity, but like a little bit of equity, even if it's a couple thousand dollars, like, or 5,000 or 2,000, maybe you don't go get the car that you want, or you don't have a down payment or anything. You're not paying off a certain loan at that time. It just shows that you've got skin in the game that's not just sweat equity because sweat equity is not really an assurance sometimes. Yeah. Do you um, mind sharing actually women. how much you put in of your own uh, money? Because I think this is interesting. A lot of founders wonder, are, are they, or, or, or it's interesting to know what it takes to get to a point where you can raise that first outside capital. So uh, if you're willing to share that, you know, you can pass. If well, you... I, I have promised our board we would never disclose that just because that's how we built the product. Um, but it's tech, so you have to know it's expensive. Okay. And that's where I look. I, I really don't ever want to do anybody a, a disservice to try to believe that you can fund yourself and bootstrap tech. You can bootstrap you can bootstrap consumer goods products. It depends on how complex they are, but like when you're trying to bootstrap tech, you really, it's really too complex and too expensive. Engineers are too expensive to, to bootstrap if you don't have, if you, I mean, I'm 43. So I've had a career, I've had a best selling book. So I saved that money and put it towards that. But if you are 20 and you just graduated and it's your life savings, I'm saying it should be, it should be in, accordance to what you can earn and what your output is. But it is important to put some in. And yeah. so, and when it comes to tech, you need to be very careful. Unless you're doing, unless you're the engineer yourself, that's a totally different story, but I'm not. And I had to pay engineers. So it was very expensive. Gotcha. Okay, so let's go back to that um, first uh, cabal of four investors. How did you, one was your co-founder. How did you find the other three? The other... The others were found through my co-founder because she, I wasn't a fashion person in any regard. I came from news and she has such an affinity for fashion. And this isn't a fashion company. It's a tech company, but you try finding women in tech to invest, not mm -hmm. going to be easy, yeah. especially like out of your friends and family circle, not professional investors, but just uh, professional investors per se, but not a VC or professional or like institutional money. So basically, by them, we decided we were going to go to this. I was like, I hate events. I'm such an introvert. Do you, are you going to, are you sure we should do this? So we flew to Dallas. 
And we met all of these very fancy people at this like opening of this ridiculous store that all unbelievably ridiculous people would be at. And then we sat them down. Um, we asked for a meeting with a group. We asked one woman to set up a meeting with a group of five women. And she was the one that invited us to the store opening. And she had been, um, she is an influencer who had a bunch of friends and was literally like, I'm grabbing everybody I know and making them listen to your presentation. And so we did. And one of those happened to be um, the man repeller. I don't know if you know her, but she's like a really big blogger and um, influencer and just like an amazing woman in style. And she sort of said, I'll be an early adopter, which took just an early adopter, like getting people to say they use your technology, then gets investors excited. So I would say that'd be the first piece of advice is like try to get somebody in your space to not not tweet about you not put anything on instagram just say that they're using the product they don't have to say it publicly they just have to tell you and you can't you don't put that out publicly but you tell investors like i have this really influence this influencer who's using our product and she's amazing and she loves it and believes in it and therefore people who follow her feel more comfortable she doesn't she's not out there proselytizing for you but because that they want equity and all that jazz but then that got all these women really comfortable she was in the meeting and she was sort of like I love this this is great it very well could have been she could have said I hate this this is useless but (laughs) that's the risk you take cool did you say it froze just for like a split second did you say that was a tech conference or a fashion event no we so we we fashioned ourselves as a tech company but we went, you know, I, it's not easy to find women in tech. So we went to the fashion group and said, would you find this valuable? Gotcha. And, and we were worried because we were like, well, we don't want to position ourselves as a fashion company because we are not. Um, so having investors in the fashion space um, wasn't optimal for us, actually. We wanted tech investors, but we didn't have access to them. And we we knew that we would work with women and that was really important. So just like go where you can and yeah. still make them valuable though. Like this woman, one of our investors was a woman who was investing in tech, but in fashion tech. And okay. that's very rare. But and the other ones were just fashion people. Gotcha. Great. So um where was the company at when you if, how much did you raise in that first round, if you if you can say that? And uh, where was the company at? You had a working prototype or um, and some of these early kind of adopters? We had V1, like a we had a prototype that we could share. Um, it was in beta. And then um, once we raised that amount, like our we just call it sort of our angels, friends and family. And it was kind of like a rolling amount, like we're going to get to this. And once we launch, we want to reach certain benchmarks and then we are going, we thought, oh, we'll just raise like a series A. And then what was really interesting is we met with investors and we said we wanted to raise five in a series A. And like a couple of these VCs were like, you should call it a seed. Okay. And we we're like, okay, fine. Call it a seed. It's still 5 million we want to raise. Actually, we set out to raise 4 million and even as an A. And they were like, oh, no, New York A's run this. It just seemed so arbitrary. (laughs) Like, really? Okay, whatever you want to call it. But it was actually great advice because there are different benchmarks that are metrics that these 
these professional investors want to see based on an A, a B, and they're just, they do seem very arbitrary because it should be based on like what exact actual space you're in. So it's very odd, but uh-huh. it was great advice. I'm glad that um, this VC gave it to us because then we went and we ran with it and it ended up being perfect because then they'd say, well, seed stage companies should have, oh, you guys have that. And we had a lot more traction than a seed stage usually does. So we kind of threw them for a little bit of a loop there. But we were like, hey, this we didn't expect we were going to get this much traction. It's not series A traction of where we have like engagement and looking towards monetization. It's really just like we have amazing potential. So go for the potential. That's interesting. So what was the the key kind of metrics you were putting in your pitch deck for that seed um, was it number of people signing up or some other, you know, what, what were you kind of tracking and holding out as, hey, this is exciting, fund us? It was really the number, so signups were very high. So I would say like, because I would never want to give an entrepreneur advice on like, you basically need to look at the one, like your one hero metric and say, how am I going to position this company around that metric? And it may not be signups. It may be your engagement. You have low signups, but you have ridiculous engagement. You have high engagement, high signups. You're, you're a rock star. Just go for it. Yeah. Um, but we all don't have that. And so, but you always have to answer all of the questions and you need a real like solid response. You need to test it out on a bunch of um, sort of like lower tier people you aren't going to be aiming for. Um, and really get rigorous in your deck responses and like how you're going to answer all of that and like, you know, start with your own investors and then branch out from there. Like, and then whatever your hero metric is, like always push that investor back to that. Mm. Like, and, and I always, the, one of the best pieces of advice I got from Jen Hyman, who is the founder of Rent the Runway and has raised a ton of money. She helped me practice my deck. And she basically was like, all right, let's look at all your weaknesses first. And let's, I want you to basically jump ahead of that. And before you even start your pitch, you put those out there. Mm. And basically she was a genius for that because I immediately was like, all right, you know, like we don't really know about our engagement. We just launched like, and this is a product that is a possibility to be a productivity tool, which means we don't know if our girl is going to be on it every day or every month or like when she shops most or what. So, and also we operate in the background uh, and we're updating people's things without them having to go to the site. So we sort of had two services. So I kind of had to get out ahead of that and say, Hey, just so you know, if you're like looking for a seed stage company that has X, Y, and Z engagement, that's not us. So we are thinking more of a big picture. We have a ton of signups. We don't know where this product's going to go with that, but we are really hopeful for X, Y, Z, but we're not that company. And I would just start out like that. Interesting. That's so, I've never heard that advice and it's kind of counterintuitive, but I can see how it can be effective kind of a risky strategy but it can be effective right yeah interesting she Um, she was like bring out all of your dirty laundry first in the way that you want to present it uh because they're going to get to it that is their job and if they don't get to it you don't want them as investors so right did did when you i've never heard of this before it's really interesting let's let's touch on it a little more did it ever happen where you get the dirty laundry out there and the investors just focus on that and can't 
get past it, you know, like they're too stuck on that. Like I can see that possibly happening. Did that ever happen to you? You know, only once and out of, I mean, I can't, I can't remember how many meetings we've had, we had, but it was more, it, it was a per, it wasn't a right fit anyway. Yeah. Um, I also like, we had terrible UX, terrible. Like that's part of the engagement story is like, was you're going to, cause a lot of these tech companies now have, and this is important for founders to know, which was an odd thing and they're all starting to add them, but they have, um, design partners now and and like even Lightspeed just recently said oh you what's a design partner and i kind of explained to them because they're like oh we should have one of those um <laughs> and i agree like it was really valuable like google ventures had somebody from facebook that they poached that is like the queen of all of ux and design she then gets into our product and starts to really if your if your product is about engagement then they should be interviewing you based on somebody who understands UX, mm. user experience. Yeah. Um, and if your product is about leggings and you are like outdoor voices, then they should be talking, they should be having someone who is like Mickey Drexler, who ran J. Crew, be a part of the interview process for mm. you. And I think, but most tech companies need to know like these are becoming a really big factor in whether they're gonna fund you. And so I got out ahead of our UX, like knowing that we've never had a UX designer, that no one but this girl <laughs> is the one that designed it. And I don't have my 10,000 hours. Yeah. And so I got an MVP out there and it's got a lot of work, but it had a lot of signups. So like, let's figure it out and we'll hire and we'll look for the, the UX team. And if I can do this in like my terrible non 10,000 hours, not an expert, then we can handle it with a professional. Yeah, yeah. But that you got see how I got that out ahead. It's answering the engagement question that's going to happen later is like mm -hmm. telling them about how my like inexperience of creating UX is like a weakness, yeah. but is a fixable weakness. So it's like that whole thing when you go on interviews, you know, and they're like, all right, tell me all about yourself, blah, blah, blah. Now, what are your three, like, what, you know, weaknesses or whatever? Instead, you start the interview with that, but you're, you're basically setting them up to when they start picking upon you to like not have that to pick about. Yeah, that makes sense. And then everything that follows after that is all the good stuff, right? So you've kind of, you know, you're almost setting the, the threshold and now it's all just exciting, cool things on top of that. So how, uh, how much did you end up raising in your seed round and, uh, and who are the investors and how many did you pitch if you have a general idea to get to the, you know, I always like to kind of understand the funnel. What did your funnel look like? How many did you talk to? How many did you end up with? So we set out to raise 4 million in an A. And like I said, then we ended up with the seed and I put that in air quotes. Um, and we ended up being oversubscribed and raised five at the advice of our lead investor, which was NEA, Tony Florence. Um, we, so here's what I, I took very, very different approach. And I was meeting with, I met with a lot of founders on how to do this. And, um, I kind of put, I put them all together. So here's the advice on that. One is do a ton of research on who you want to approach all the companies they've invested in and make your list because like just throwing spaghetti at investors is just gonna, it's basically like you're gonna end up, your ratio to how many people think the baby's ugly and how many people think the baby's perfect is going to be way skewed by baby ugly 
if you don't start picking your investors. And that's just like not a scenario you want to put yourself in because it's just, it's miserable. You are like a masochist if you do that. So really hone in on who is invested in your space, who understands your space, because the first thing they're going to say is, I don't really know this space. So don't meet with me, but they will because they don't they have FOMO. So you'll just end up having a lot of really bad meetings if you don't sort of start. So really, really suss that out and, and call that list down. And then once you do that, then wait and set up all of your meetings within two weeks of each other. Like legitimately, it's like a barrage where, because if, if you don't realize that this person who's the associate here went to school with it, they all went to HBS, they all went to Stanford, they all went, they're all very bright, amazing people and they happen to all know each other. Yeah. And, if, and they're all talking, back channeling like, oh, have you heard about this deal? And all of a sudden your deal is blowing up. Not because it is, but because you're meeting, you have four meetings a day and you are scheduling them like X, Y, and Z. Like, so we did three days in San Francisco, three days in Los Angeles, three days in New York. And just even though we are based in New York, we essentially would say, we're going to be in New York these three days. Like, and, <laughs> and we just like hammered it out. And it was painful because it was basically like a two week process because we would have one day in between where we would travel. But when you say you're setting them all up in those times, like they don't want to miss out. And also it's just a barrage, like the barrage, the, the barrage theme works. The women who, who raise a lot of money out of way and Lola were the two sort of founders that said to us, you guys got to do it this way. And then when we did, it was so good because then all of a sudden, then after that, a week after people started calling us saying, we hear you're raising, we'd love to hear the deal. Interesting. And then we had extra follow-up meetings and we would add people to the schedule, you know, sort of like, but we, we put a date where we weren't going to, we weren't going to keep meeting and yeah. we were going to try to we then said, okay, we'll stop meeting on this day and let's circle back with all these people, like constantly keep them in the mix. Always. Um, one of the investors said to me, don't, you did such a good job of keeping me without spamming me. Like oh. that's key too. Don't spam them. What were you, were you sending a monthly update, a weekly update? What were you, how are you keeping them in the loop without spamming or what was the approach? Like spammy is like, Oh, I have another meeting. Um, Hey, what's going on with the, you know, like trying to get them to the table. Uh, I would just say like, if we had something, if there was really something relevant, like a big benchmark, like, um, we were going to be on the today show and I'd be like, Hey, check it out. Blah, blah. That's not spammy. That's like something cool that they would want to know about. But spammy is like when you start to try to get them to the table and you're trying to say like, oh, we have this meeting here. What are you doing? And it's really hard to get that first one. It is like, I, I just like solving. It's like for a first time founder and raising, it's like getting that first one. And it's like, I don't know what to tell you necessarily and to get them to the table. But I definitely know that they do not respond to even though they have FOMO, they do not respond to a uh, meeting here. I'm going to need an answer. Mm. I mean, I had one founder tell me you just need, and I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't say this is a good idea, but she says you need to just tell them that you have a term sheet. And I was like, but if, if I don't, don't then yeah. what happens? And she was like, well, they can't ask you who the term sheet is from. And I'm like, actually, no, they do. They ask right. you all the time. 
who is a term sheet. And you sound so dodgy if you're like, I can't tell you. Because frankly, you can. You're not supposed to be out shopping term sheets. But at a seed stage, a first investment, the, your, your lead investor is not going to be like, oh, you can't tell anybody who this is. Who's, well, it just seems ridiculous. So don't try that. Just don't. Did you, so to get that first one to come in, was that NEA then? Did you fill out the rest of the round by kind of, how did you, or, you know, how did you, uh, I think you know what I'm trying to ask there. How did you fill out the rest of it? How did I get them? Yeah. How did I get them to to basically say, fine, we'll be the ones? (laughs) Well, the good thing was we, we had a lot of interest. So um, I also think I had, I, I sent this, I mean, I don't know if it ever, I'll have to ask him. I'm, I'm going to see him this week. I'll ask him if that email was like what it was. But I sent him an email, um, basically had some concerns that he was focused on. And I had to get him back to where I remember where he was the most thrilled about the product. So you have to be a good listener in your first meeting. Because your first meeting, everybody's going to be very excited. So remember what they were most excited about. And if you can fulfill and you can, you can fulfill that thing, don't, you don't ever want to get them. If they're excited about something that you know you can't like really follow through on, that's stupid. But if it's something you know you can deliver on, then you go back and you focus on that. And you say, do you remember you think this is a huge play? You think this is – and you j- tell them what they were excited about. But you have mm. to listen to them. You can't be telling them what you're excited about. You have to really listen in that first meeting. What were their concerns? What were they? What did you see? Let's look at their body language. Know what they were excited about. They're poker players too. But sometimes when they get really excited, they will like, they'll show you and you have to be paying attention and not so nervous and worried about your stuff and selling to also listen. So basically I knew he was excited about a big platform play. I knew he was not excited about like, you know, being able to sell data or being able to like have, you know, sell women other clothes. He wanted the whole thing. He's the biggest tech investor in this space. He's, he's going to go for a platform play. So I sent him an email that reminded him like, Hey, this may be technology that exists before, but so did Uber. They had technology that existed before like X, Y, and Z. Don't forget the big picture. Remember, this is a huge play. When we make it, we will be changing retail. And so, like, just really go with whatever. Like, he kept saying, this has to be a big platform. It has to be every, it has to be all encompassing. It has to be the entire life cycle of clothing. And I just kept remember him saying that. So, rather than like focus on the unbelievable data that we can get and generate this like great experience for our user and our girl and engagement, and me really caring about the fact that women spend too much on clothes. Uh-huh. No, no. No, he wants it to be big and I believe we can be big. So I feel like I can deliver on the promise that he wants. So saying that to him and sending him that email, I think he, he just, you have to reinforce the things he wanted or she wanted. I can say he, because it is very rare to find a female investor that can invest in a $5 million seed. Yeah. So unfortunately. Let's touch on that just for very, very brief because there's so much stuff in the news about, you know, uh, female founders and the, the dearth of money raised by female founders. Did you ever feel you were at a disadvantage or did you ever have any issues in being a female founder raising, you know, a, a healthy amount? I mean, that's a, that's a serious round you raised. Uh, 100%. 
Hmm. And I'll tell you, not in a, in one, in who we picked. So we really, like I said, sussed out the list of the people that we wanted to be in the round who had invested in women before. So we knew that had to be a requirement. But then the, the other thing is like, we're not a, a consumer goods. So it's not tangible and it's, it's very hard for to the first part of our pitch was spent so much on, I would say like every meeting we had with every founder who helped us with our deck, we spent the majority of the time talking about the first three slides, which were going to explain to a man why this was a pain point for a woman. Mm. And where we spent so much time feeling like this is so unfair. Why do we have to do this? Half of the population are women and feel this pain point, but okay, get over yourself. Like, you're going to have to do it. And it's just like if you were selling to some sector that didn't understand your product, like yeah. the same thing, learn how to speak and learn how to get them to understand this pain point and they will, but if you don't and you don't communicate to them. So we used, um, this is crazy, but we used, um, uh, seamless. So seamless and like, open table and Yelp as a way to be like, okay, when you're deciding what you want to wear, to eat as a guy, you will go through your phone and maybe just like, even look at that as an inventory. Like, okay, these are inventories of places I could eat just to sort of spur on thought of where you want to go to dinner. And then you'll make a reservation or whatever. Well, same time, at the very same time, we had two images, one of a man looking at his phone and then you could see what's on his phone, how he's scrolling through seamless. We had a woman on a subway scrolling through exactly like her clothing. So when, when this guy is thinking about what he's going to eat, she's thinking about what am I going to wear to go eat? And so we married them that way and like tried to explain to men that like, oh, you may think about what you want to eat tonight, mid afternoon a woman will start thinking about what she wants to wear to a dinner like two days, three days ahead of time, what she wants to pack maybe a week, maybe even a month. So like to really wrap their minds around the fact that, that this is something that is a real pain point for women and the fact that we have to stand in front of our wardrobe to decide what we're going to wear. So really playing on the accessibility. Very interesting. Um, okay, last question, and I'm going to give you two options for it. Um, Either what one piece of advice would you give yourself if you were doing it all over again, or what piece of advice would you give to perhaps women founders who are, are starting this process of raising capital? Pick, pick either, either approach you want. Well, I think there's just one other piece of advice that I would be remiss if I didn't share that's, that an investor shared with me that was the most important thing for a man or a woman is the last five minutes of your meeting. So they all last about, depending on how entertaining you are, um, they can last 30 to 45, sometimes an hour, but you start to know when it's wrapping up. And what you need to do is you need to finish strong with, and you need to get answers. Like, so basically don't, you need to stop talking, you finish, and then you start getting answers. You start asking. It's the most important time. You need to figure out where their mind is. Like I, like, the advice I told you earlier about really understanding what they liked, you'll hear that throughout the conversation because they'll focus on it. But at the end, you need to you need to drill home. It's like, what do you think? 
you know, like get their opinion because that is going to be how you're going to follow up with them. And if you don't wrap your mind around what they're thinking and what they're worried about at the end and you don't get it from them, then you are going to be setting yourself up for like a terrible conclusion because you may go off thinking that they loved it and they don't. And then you are wasting your time with them. You need to move on. And so that last five minutes, if you can really get them answering some really important questions, like, where are you? What is your process like? What are the next steps? You will get from those three questions, a real strong, like you will know where you stand with that investor. That's awesome. That's great. I think that's really good, tactical, actionable advice uh, that we can take home with. So this has been fantastic. So for anyone who wants to check out your site, it's just finery.com, correct? Yep, and we we have an app also. It's it's a piece of it's a it's love. It's get it's getting more love, but getting we just love. we we just sort of soft launched. So if people want to try it out, we're happy to get get all the feedback. Wonderful, awesome. Well, thank you so much. This is really good. Lots of good good nuggets in there, and um, I appreciate it. So I wish you continued success and um, um, onward and upward for Finery. Thanks, Whitney. Yes, and also I'm happy to answer any questions from any founders at any time. Great. So you can always email me. How should they reach you? By email or? Whitney at finery.com. Wonderful. You, that's that's great. I love the paint, paint it forward, paint it back. Uh, Heck yeah. <laughs> good stuff. All right. Thank you, Whitney. I appreciate it. Have a good week. Thank you. Bye.